Hi, Rob McConkie here. Welcome to another episode of Postcards from the Bush. I'm calling Season 2, The Happy Hacker Goes West. Yes, this golfing tragic is playing in the Outback Masters. Between games in Charleville, Quilpie, Blackhall, Hewenden and Longreach, I'm meeting up with some of the folks, the artists, the farmers and the townspeople and so many more. Hope you'll join me. Shack along the road to, to Gunda Guy to Gunda Guy, where the blue gums are blowing and the marambidgee's flowing beneath that sunny sky, that sunny sky, where my mommy and daddy are waiting for me, and the pals of my childhood once more I will see. So no more will I roam. It's Monday morning, we're in Huendon, I'm with the Jillaroos who did their inaugural performance at the Outback Queensland Masters on Saturday night. They were a stand-up success. We had the girls up dancing and uh, doing calisthenics and Pilates and making themselves look <laughs> extremely, <laughs> extremely untrained. But the music was just wonderful. And it's really a pleasure to talk to you girls. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get you to uh, say your names. Marcia Penman. Ashley Denning. Heidi Enkelmeyer. And why are you called the Jillaroos? That's a really good question. <laughs> I think it was because if we were putting on an all Aussie outback, um, all Sheila show, you always hear about jackaroos going out on the land and we're three girls together and the, and the premise is that women can do anything and we're coming into town, we're coming to your local town to come and perform a show for you as three women who live on the land. How do you prepare for something like the Outback Masters Golf Tournament because, or the Outback <laughs> Queensland Masters Golf Tournament? Because you've got a lot of buffy blokes in there, you know, and they're not in their prime of their life. And you've got a lot of women who are keen golfers or are just following the blokes. How do you prepare for it? I can assure you that it didn't matter what we did to prepare for it. We had no idea what was coming for us. <laughs> um, because obviously it's not an environment that we're particularly familiar with. So you have no idea how these people are going to react to the stuff that you're doing because a lot of it is very familiar to them. So you kind of go, are you going to laugh at this because it, it's funny because it's true or are you going to laugh or are you going to not laugh because you're offended by the fact that we're making fun of you? Mm. Are we making fun of you? Mm. So I think in that first three minutes at the beginning where everyone was a little bit, oh, not really sure what's going on, we were like, oh my goodness, we we are an absolute failure. <laughs> this is going to go horribly. Um, and then we really just picked the hearts of the audience and um, – found our way along through the show <laughs> but yeah it's basically impossible to know what you're going to get in an audience I must admit I was feeling a fairly nervous in those first three minutes but when you broke into song everyone just stood still and said these women have got the most beautiful voices where did you train um, I studied at QUT, but I've been studying singing my whole life so just had a singing teacher and found out that I loved singing and 
just turn it into a thing. Mm-hmm. You just sing because you love it. Mm. And it trains you as you go. And actually, you're all a part of music theatre, and music theatre is a huge genre or genre. What, what aspects of it do you love? Oh, I love the storytelling, I think, more than anything. And I think that's what gives us the ability to, in a rather tumultuous industry in Australia where there's not a great deal of work, um, to then go out and branch into other things. Because if you think of any style of music or even just communicating with people, you're telling a story and you're trying to bring them into your world and understand their world better. So I think musical theatre really gives you the opportunity to do that on an everyday basis. I think that's where you really got the audience because you were actually putting on a show, you were talking to them, you were acting as much as singing. Yeah, absolutely. I have to 100% agree with Ash there because I think it's one of those things where you go, uh, I'm a good singer, I could be a singer, I could be a pop singer, and then you go, actually, there's no storytelling in pop singing unless you happen to create a little <laughs> niche in there. Or And like myself, I nearly went into opera and I just don't find that, acting is as valued in opera as it is about to be valued actually it's coming in but um I remember auditioning for the con for the classical course and they said so why why have you put music theater as your number one preference you've got such a beautiful classical voice and I was like well I want to act I want to be telling a story I want to communicate a story to people through the song that I'm singing rather than telling a story and then going and now I'm going to sing about it Mm. how important is the 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 writing of the script because one piece flowed through to the next in this particular performance well it was a really collaborative process so we did have a script written for us by Tarita who is our producer and she wrote the script and brought us all together but it was such a an organic collaborative process where we were you know if a line didn't work we'd say okay well what about this how does this work or what suits us in our voice and our characters as well and what our different personalities brought to the characters so it was really yeah it it grew over the time that we rehearsed it which was just it was so great to be part of to be able to grow something from the ground up you really knocked me for six when you um, sang aeroplane jelly now i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure none of you even know what aeroplane jelly is but every single person in that audience you are speaking to the right demographic and the one about uh, the what's the one about the insect repellent louis the fly We had to watch the, oh, when did it come out? 19, was it 1953? I, uh, I can't remember. Look, it lingered longer for that because I performed that in seventh grade at school. Oh, no! Everybody else was sort of reciting poetry and I did Louis the Fly and the teacher, and I went to a very good school, and the teacher just looked at me as I dropped to the floor and died. <laughs> I love that. I feel like we could add that into our next iteration of this, Robin. You actually have to drop to the floor and die. Absolutely. No, I think we should add Robin into it. I think we should tell that story. (laughs) But you had the audience there. And when do you feel that you've made it with the audience? Was it when everybody started getting up and dancing? Was it long before that you knew you had them? You definitely hear the oohs and ahs a little bit earlier. And I think... People generally, I don't know how to explain this, but people generally give off an energy when you are performing. And we, we, it's amazing to say that we all felt it when we first came off and went, ooh, 
those first three minutes were a little bit sketchy. I'm not sure if they were. I'm not sure if they were. They were awful. They were. They were. I think you were, you were performing to twenty year old blokes at that stage, and these were seventy and sixty year old men and women. But once you started singing, though, you were free. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think exactly what Ash said, the energy of the audience is very telling of how the rest of the show is going to go. And once you hear a few of those responses and um, particularly I think um, after the solos and once we started getting into the kind of things that people were singing along to, um, you go, okay, we find it, we've, hit our, we've hit our market here and um, you really feel like you've grabbed the audience and they're with you on your side rather than we're sitting over here and looking at you and we're not entirely certain that we're with you on this mm. one. Everyone singing along to Georgie Girl. I yes. loved that. I mm-hmm. was like, yes, let's have a group sing along. This is amazing. That's when I started to feel like it had switched over. Yeah. And the calisthenics was just hysterical. <laughs> oh, my costume. That thing's flown all the way from Brisbane. That is a good costume. I'll have to see it to believe it. Half our costumes are, yeah, I think Marcia and and I, we lost our costumes to audience members because they wanted yeah. fluoro leg warmers. <laughs> But the audience was really enjoying it, and I think they felt liberated by being part of the whole experience for you. Great. That's really good to hear. Like, that that is so – it's validating as a performer to know that you've actually brought people along for a ride with you rather than Mm. you just standing there presenting something to them. Totally. Yeah, that's really good to hear. How tough is it to build a career in Brisbane? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, look, my career is across many different genres. So, like, um, performing is my is my heart and what I love to do. But I also I work at QPAC, so I usher as well. So I watch theatre and assist patrons. But I also work at a bookstore, and then I teach as well. And then so today I have a cover teacher in while I go and perform somewhere else. So mm-hmm. you just build a career across everything so that you can support yourself and keep working and keep performing this is postcards from the bush and i'm calling this season the happy hacker goes west i'm robin mcconkey stay with me and enjoy was covid good for you or bad for you Ah, good and bad. So it was a break. I enjoyed the break and I enjoyed the fact that I was actually paid consistently because I was eligible for JobKeeper. Um, I was paid to not work very much for once, which doesn't sound great, but actually was really like a rest to actually stop. It was a reprieve, that's it, to actually stop and not have to work eight jobs to earn a regular steady income. Yeah. What's the future looking like, though, in a place like Brisbane? Do you have to go interstate or do you have to go overseas? I feel as though if you want to be a full-time musical theatre performer, you have to go overseas. When you look at the fact that the West End has 200 shows going on at the the same time and Australia has something like 20 shows that are noted in, you know, in in a, um, what would you call that, like an interstate capacity... Mm or four of them are major touring productions, there's actually just not enough work. And now that COVID has kind of forced the industry to stop, start, stop, start, it does make it a lot more difficult to see it as a a regular income, even if you were to, you know, know the right people or get a big Mm. break and be one of the the rare few who get Mm. regular work. Yeah, passion doesn't actually fill your bank account, does it? No. No. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think I would say... um, the main thing that COVID had an effect 
uh, on in terms of the industry. I think a lot of the individuals enjoyed having a bit of a break, but the industry has definitely divided into the major touring productions, of which there are only about four or five every year in Australia. And realistically, they'll stick Sydney and Melbourne and maybe do a couple of weeks in Brisbane and a couple of weeks in Perth or Adelaide or something. Um, but it's really made a big divide between the smaller theatre companies, between each individual city. So um, a lot of companies have just gone, well, we can't afford to do this. We can't afford mm-hmm. to put on a show anymore because we don't have any money. And you'll get like one or two companies in Brisbane or something like that at the moment who are able to put on shows because they happen to have the money to be able mm. to do those things or they're doing it for no money so that they can then make their money back up eventually through the process. But like what Ash was saying before about um, even the best performers who are going back-to-back touring shows, you still have about a month between each show because you can't possibly overlap all of the shows together. So some of the people in Hamilton, some of the people in Frozen that I know well, I know that they've had retail jobs and I know that they've had coffee jobs because you just can't... Um, possibly go end to end with only four or five touring shows every year. And then every time there's a lockdown and your so-called day job, you know, you you have to shut down the cafe and you can't work, then you're like, cool, (laughs) I have no money this week. If you wanted to take the Gillaroos on the road, is there the capacity to do that? hope so. I'd love to. I think that'd be great. I think we, I think we'd need to just workshop a couple of things that we recognize through, you know, (laughs) getting it up for the first time in front of Mm. people. And then I'd love to. I think that'd be really good. I think it's refreshing to see three women on stage touring around and, you know, singing about things that affect us. I think that's great. Is it harder for women to break into the industry or stay in the industry or get regular work or earn an income from being in music theatre? Yeah, because there's more of us, generally. There are definitely more women in theatre than there are men or consistently staying in theatre, I think. Mm. And generally, if you're a male and you are, you know, at at the the top of your game enough to be in regular work, there's not as many of you. Mm. So there's, you know, there's definitely more competition, but also there's more beautiful women that you work with and Mm. go out on tour with and you know it's just it's it's beautiful Mm. it's beautiful to be out here with two women yeah (laughs) i love it is it important do things like the voice play a role in getting you heard or known i mean i don't watch commercial tv but do they i think for some yes one of our beautiful friends in the seven sopranos has been working her tush off for all of her life to be recognised in the opera world and and she has done very well for herself on The Voice and, and has gained some recognition. I think shows like that afford performers the opportunity to be seen, not necessarily by the general public, by, but by people who then want to hire them. Mm-hmm. So it'll be for more so for freelance work and whatnot. Um, unfortunately, there is a part of our uh, musical theatre culture where if you are famous in any capacity or the general public like you, you're more likely to put bums on seats and so therefore you, yes. you, you're going to earn dollars for the person who's putting in they want to make a profit. Mm. Totally, but in saying that, I hate the idea of furthering that industry or that, or that mentality yeah. within the general public by saying yeah, 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 like the voice is really great for artists because actually maybe you should just go to the theatre and give the artists that are on stage a go, people would be more likely to, or producers would be more likely to cast the person who is best for the role as opposed to the person who's going to 
put bums on seats. Mm. Someone was, Teresa was actually saying to me that there's not much venture capital in Australia to experiment with theatre because mm. of the tax laws, basically. And she was saying that um, in America, it's really different. People can put in venture cap- capital and risk it. Are people prepared to take a risk on new talent? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, not at all, unfortunately. Like, if you look at the casting list of the major touring shows over the last five years, it consists of mostly the same people, and if it's not the same people, they look exactly the same as those people, and they have all of the same talents as those people. And um, it's a little bit frustrating as someone who tries to crack into that, looking at it and going... I know so many other people who are infinitely more talented than these people and you're just casting the same people over and over again because you know them and you've worked with them before and that's fine on some level but it does go a little into um, uh, nepotism, I want to say. Well, I'm speaking to the Jillaroos. I'm speaking to Marcia Penman, Ashley Denning and Heidi Enkelman. Enkelmeyer. Heidi Enkelmeyer. Now, I'm going to ask you to sing for me, so you're going to have to think about that. And I know it's early morning, and um, and you're all altos now. But while you're thinking about what you're going to sing, first of all, just, um, Heidi, you do ABBA. I do ABBA. I do. Hey, you've got to you've got to hustle to make it work. Yeah, I'm in an ABBA tribute show on the side of this as well. So next weekend, I won't be Jillarooing. I'll be dressed up as Agnetta from Sweden. Can you do a Swedish accent? Yeah, yeah. We say all of our uh, intro to songs in Swedish accent. We say this is Waterloo, and you sing with us. Yeah. And going on to you, Ashley, while you're still thinking about what you're going to sing mm. together, what's the, the the most fun performance or the best one or the, the something that you've got the most out of? As in with the Jillaroos last night. No, uh, <laughs> I mean, you talk about the seven sopranos. I mean, yeah. gosh, I don't actually know if it would be fair to pick one favorite performance. Well, I guess more. the truth is that I have been privileged enough to work with several different companies. I do work with the seven sopranos. Um, we have, you know, we went out to Winton in 2019 for the Outback. That would be a wild show. It was a wild show. <laughs> but I think honestly, if I had to pick a, a favorite performance, I worked on P&O cruise ships as one of their um, guest entertainers in one of their bars and I met my husband there. He was the drummer and I was the singer and I think that worked out pretty well, actually. (laughs) I'm glad you didn't catch COVID. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) And yours, I mean, memorable performance or memorable experiences. Memorable experiences. Oh, goodness. There's like, yeah, so many to think of. Um, I definitely think that in terms of most recent years, our performance with the Seven Sopranos at Opera in the Gardens was the first time that I had performed the song that I did for you guys the other night, They Won't Let You in the Opera If You're a Country Star. The original version of that song is about seven minutes and 30 seconds. And that is a long time to be on stage by yourself and just trying so hard to grab that audience and make sure that they hear every single word you're saying and then suddenly go into this coloratura soprano moment um and i was so nervous about it i cannot tell you how nervous i was about it how do you control your nerves i could not tell you (laughs) i need tips for my golf (laughs) (laughs) i think i think if you get nervous isn't it a good indication to you that you care yes if you stop getting nervous I think you've stopped caring enough that you shouldn't be doing whatever. Yeah, but it buggers my putting. (laughs) I heard 
heard about that the other day. <laughs> I think you just do, though. Not from like, anyone else. You, you get up there and, like, wh- you have a job to do. So you get up and you do a job. It's the same way that, I don't know, an accountant goes to work in the morning and they count numbers. My job is I will probably feel nervous before I get up, and that's because I care. But once I get up there, my job is to then perform and not let the audience see how I feel about it mm. and just go with it. And it just... you. You work your way through it and mm. suddenly you realise you're performing and you're doing what you love and you're like, great. <laughs> I didn't give you a fair chance apart from Abba. Any favourite performances, experiences? Oh there's, oh, there's too many. Like, honestly, I've done so many shows across my life of all different types of things and you meet different people and you get taken to the strangest places in the world and it's just... Like, it'd be like choosing my favourite child. And I apparently have a thousand children, so, you know, it's cool. Are you going to sing for us? Have you got yeah, something you could sing? Do you need to stand, do you need to stand up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, see, just trying to remember, would it be better to stand up? Probably. Okay. Okay. guy, there's a track winding back to an old-fashioned shack along the road to Gundagai, to Gundagai, where the blue gums are blowing and the marambidgee's flowing beneath that sunny sky, that sunny sky, where my mommy and daddy are waiting for me. And the pals of my childhood once more I will see So no more will I roam When I'm heading straight for home along the road to Gundagai, Gundagai, the road to Gundagai Congratulations. That's fantastic, guys. Thank you so much, Robin. It was so lovely to chat to you. And thanks for being our neighbour, by the way. (laughs) Good luck with the Gillaroos. Good luck with your careers. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, Robin. Thank you. Good luck with your swing. Hope you enjoyed our chat. Please subscribe to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie and join me on the next adventure in The Happy Hacker Goes West. (laughs) 